grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Does wisdom not call, and does not understanding raise her voice? Let us listen to the living word through which God's Spirit speaks. Let us pray. Holy One, our Maker, our Healer, our Teacher, renew us with the Spirit of your word, that we may grow in grace bear the fruits of redemption, and share your strength and beauty with all the world. In the name of Jesus, your wisdom made flesh. Amen. A reading from the first letter to the Corinthians. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters, by ordinary human standards, not many of you were wise, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were from the upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can boast in God's presence. It is because of God that you are in Jesus Christ, who became wisdom from God for us. This means that Christ made us righteous and holy and delivered us. This is consistent with what was written, the one who boasts should boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. A reading from the first scroll of Samuel. The Holy One regretted making Saul king over Israel. The Holy One said to Samuel, How long are you going to grieve over Saul? I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and get going. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have found my next king among his sons. How can I do that? Samuel asked. When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Holy One replied, and say, I have come to make a sacrifice. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will make clear to you what you should do. You will anoint for me the person I point out to you. Samuel did what the Holy One instructed. When he came to Bethlehem, the city elders came to meet him. They were shaking in fear. Do you come in peace, they asked. Yes, Samuel answered. I have come to make a sacrifice. 
Now make yourselves holy, then come with me to the sacrifice. Samuel made Jesse and his sons holy and invited them to the sacrifice as well. When they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, that must be the holy ones anointed right in front. But the holy one said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or stature because I have not selected him. God doesn't look at things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the holy one sees into the heart. Next, Jesse called for Abinab, who presented himself to Samuel. But he said, the holy one hasn't chosen this one either. So Jesse pointed to Shammah. But Samuel said, no, the holy one hasn't chosen this one. Jesse presented seven of his sons to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the holy one hasn't picked any of these. Then Samuel asked Jesse, is that all of your boys? There is still the youngest one, Jesse answered, but he's out keeping the sheep. Send for him, Samuel told Jesse, because we can't proceed until he gets there. So Jesse sent and brought his youngest son, David. He was reddish brown, had beautiful eyes, and was good looking. The Holy One said, that's the one, go anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him right there in front of his brothers. The Holy One's spirit came over David from that point forward. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. London, 1993. You're in an upscale hotel, but not the lobby, not the penthouse. No, you are being hurried through back hallways, herded onto a service elevator that maids are using to transport linens. You are not supposed to be there. That is, if you're Yair Hirschfeld, professor of economics, from the University of Haifa in Israel. In 1993, there has been no movement on peace between Israelis and Palestinians since the Camp David talks of 1978. The Israeli government refuses to negotiate with the Palestine Liberation Organization, the PLO. In fact, it is illegal for an Israeli official to speak with a member of the PLO. Someone unofficial, though, that's a different matter. Delicate, but different. Professor Hirschfield is in London to have an informal conversation with Ahmed Kurea a Palestinian, a leader in the PLO. Standing outside Kuria's hotel room, Yair is shaking in his boots. On the other side of the door, Kurie is shaking too, because he has never spoken with an Israeli face to face. This is the briefest whisper of a beginning to peace talks, recently retold on screen in the film Oslo. In 1993, 
Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin don't know that they will share an iconic handshake on the White House lawn. In 1993, almost no one knows about the meetings a low-level Norwegian bureaucrat and her husband are arranging. In 1993, the world is gripped by fear and despair. But then, Yair Hirschfeld steps through that hotel room door, and Ahmed Kurea says hello. In 1993, when I was in kindergarten, I wasn't watching the news. Instead, my parents read to me from a brightly illustrated children's Bible. I heard the stories of Noah and the ark, Moses confronting Pharaoh, and tales of a shepherd boy named David. I remember a version of the story Ford read from the first scroll of Samuel. Seven strapping sons passed over because God's perception is more than skin deep. But I didn't remember the elders of Bethlehem shaking with fear. When the prophet comes to town, heifer in tow, the city leaders approach him, asking, do you come in peace? What is going on here? When the prophet comes to town, you know the Holy One is stirring things up. When the spirit is on the move, God might just disturb the peace. Samuel knew what was up. He was not supposed to be there. Fill my horn with oil? Anoint a new king? How can I do that? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Change is dangerous to kings. Monarchs need predictability in order to maintain power. And it's the same story on the small scale. Just ask my husband how I react when plans change. And he'll tell you how quickly my go-with-the-flow attitude does a 180-degree turn. How about you? What constants, what routines do you rely on to keep your cool? What smooth talking would your ego rather listen to than the often messy truth? And if we want to change the narrative, if we want to live into that messy truth, well, we might be shaking with fear. Because what if? What if these human beings that I have the amazing, exhausting responsibility to raise wind up making all the same mistakes I made? What if 
the degree was worthless? What if the business falls through? What will people think? What if they say it out loud? Samuel took a risk. And for a moment, it seemed like everything was going to be fine. Here's Eliab, a soldier in the king's army, a pillar of strength, perfect for a king. But God says no. What about Abinadab? Eagerness abounding, ready to serve, willing to please. That would be a nice change. But God says no. Surely, Shammah, well-spoken and wise, would be God's choice. But again, no. No, 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 no. After risking his neck to travel to Bethlehem, after potentially imperiling the fates of this family and the city elders, what if Samuel misunderstood the divine direction? What if this was a fool's errand? But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. Against a backdrop of fear and despair, when we might prefer not to make a change, not to make a choice, God chooses anyways. A new leader will upset the powers that be in ancient Israel, but God chooses anyways. A candidate who composes poetry and herds sheep probably doesn't have a strong grasp on national security or the economy, but God chooses Anyways, God chooses David, the youngest child, the forgotten one, because God chooses the weak and foolish, even if they're shaking in fear. I wonder if Chuck Calhoun ever wondered whether the Holy One made the wrong choice when God whispered a vision of a drum corps into his heart. This was 1964. Chuck was 34 years old, raising four children with his wife, Betty, and the youngest was still in diapers. He had a successful career at Watkins Salt Company. He already had a satisfying gig on the weekends, marching with the Drum and Bugle Corps in Geneva. But what if this idea, hatched with his co-workers, Carl and Vern, what if this idea was a failure waiting to happen? A marching band for the youth of a small town like Watkins Glen? For the youth of a rural place like Schuyler County? Who would sign on to that? Over a hundred people, it turns out. 
At Chuck's funeral yesterday, I heard alums of the Squire's Junior Drum and Bugle Corps describe finding family in a community of teenagers figuring out their left foot from their right. And in the midst of that family, there was Uncle Chuck encouraging the shy ones. There was Uncle Chuck who knew that the value of a drum corps isn't in the star musicians, but in the trust that allows teamwork to flourish. There was Uncle Chuck, taking kids who had never left the Finger Lakes across this wide open country to compete and even win national competitions. The wins are a sweet detail for a small town team. But what stays with me after listening to those stories is the extraordinary impact an ordinary person had on generations. Echoing in that impact, don't you hear it? is a fierce love, a divine love that refuses to let fear and despair and calculating power rule the world. Friends, I'm no Samuel. I have no ram's horn filled with extra virgin olive oil ready to pour over the next sheriff or governor or president. But with our ancestor Paul, you and I share a promise. Through Christ, ludicrous wisdom, crucified strength, God chooses us to change the world. When we feel weak or unprepared, especially then, the Spirit is ready to roll up her sleeves and create through us a world where kids find belonging, where lake waters and forests flourish with abundant life, where peace with justice is possible, where unlikely peacemakers walk across a hotel room door's threshold even when they're trembling. Friends, for us and for our neighbors, God's amazing grace is enough. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God. Song of the psalmists, strength of the lowly, sovereign and shepherd, of all. Amen.